0: Hello everybody, it's Master of the Indiana Pacers. You listen to the Peace Podcast. Be sure to follow at Paceroos on Twitter. Hello everyone and welcome to the Paceroos Podcast, the only Australian podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers. Adam and Alex here with you with a very special guest today that we'll get into in just a second. We're going to talk about the remainder of the regular season. And we put the call out for some topics this week and got a few responses on Twitter. So we will run through those topics as well. Alex. Good to be here with you and uh, NBA Woody on Twitter. Woody, uh, welcome to the show. A fellow Australian Pacers fan. There's been more of us that have come out of the woodwork since the Pacers have sort of got going. We didn't realize there were this many Pacers fans whatsoever in Australia. Firstly, thanks for coming on the show. And do you want to just give us a little bit of an intro into yourself and how you became a Pacers fan? Because I think that's probably the the number one question we tend to get from. Our American friends, uh, how the hell did we come to like this small market team?
1: Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I thought I was the only Australian Pacers fan for probably 20 years of my life. I like you guys probably did. Um, my little story started with watching video highlights on Limewire. Rest in peace, Limewire. Miss it? Wow. Yep. Because it was like very little content out here. Obviously, we lived in Australia. It wasn't like there was games on TV every day. Like we got pretty much no content, and all we heard about was at least when I was younger, it was like Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan. So, yeah, my first introduction was watching highlights and seeing a skinny guy wearing number 31, on <laughs> at the best player of all time. And yep. I, I liked that. I liked the underdog and I went with that. And ever since then, it's been nothing but pain and misery. So it's been good. <laughs> and I'm happy to be here. I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, good LimeWire
0: name drop as well. I was you I to go with Kazar.
1: Uh, it makes you feel oh. old, actually. Yeah, yeah it really <laughs> does.
0: Remember I was going to say, I was going to... I no, no, Alex, is line, way line beyond your time. time mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you stay right out of this conversation. You've never had to worry about where <laughs> it comes from in your entire existence, mate. Yeah, Whereas uh, Woody and I had to try and uh, download a copy of Metallica's St. Anger. <laughs> uh, however, it ended up being some yeah. weird sort of virus that infected uh, our computer yeah, and yeah. our parents' bank account details. So <laughs> yeah, basically...
1: That story hits a
0: bit close to home, actually. So. <laughs> Amazing. Remember yeah. when everyone wanted San Anger because they thought it would be good and then it was terrible yep. and yep. we were all glad that we pirated it. So it was great. I know. It was fantastic. Yeah.
1: We didn't waste money, which was good.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's good to see another Pacers fan of my vintage. That's uh, it's good. <laughs> we'll move on to the topics uh, at hand. I think the, the first one that resoundingly came through on Twitter was the fact that we've got five draft picks in the upcoming NBA draft. One looks to be in the top 10, two of those look to be somewhere between 24 and 30, and then we're almost assured to have pick 32 as per, um, Houston. Thanks to the Spurs for winning, uh, earlier in the week, uh, as well as our own, uh, second round pick, I think a little bit later or it may have been a pick that got traded to us. Um, might want to clarify that one for me in a second. That'll be the
2: Cavs, Cavs second.
0: Yeah. There we go. Cavs second. So we're looking at, you know, pick 54, pick 55, somewhere around yeah. there. Regardless, we've got a draft haul and we've got far too many picks for the number of roster spots that we've got. So we can't use them all anyway with the players we've got under contract next season. So, Alex, I'll start with you. are a couple of options on the table here. What would you lean towards in terms of how to utilise those picks and how to best... Maximize the return that you get, and use what Kevin Pritchard loves to call optionality.
2: I was literally just about to say flexibility. So there you (laughs) go. But that's the best thing about this Pacers off season, I think, is that when have we had this many picks? Like I I can't remember a time that we had five draft picks in one year, and four of them being in the top thirty-two as well. So I was doing some research before the show. The Thunder used three first last year to trade up to number eleven which seems like a lot, but if you have a guy you really like, look, I'm really high on Taylor Hendricks in that in that range. So if Kevin Pritchard, if Chabby Buchanan, if they have a guy they like in that range, I would be happy with them giving up the Celtics and Cavs pick. So, and even the Rockets uh, 32nd, like you said. So obviously that one conveying is huge, but yeah, that optionality again is just such a, a luxury to have. And look, I think all three of us will be in agreement, right? The Pacers will be trying to make the playoffs next year. They were the sixth seed halfway yeah. through this season. I doubt we're back in the top 10 of the lottery. So for me, that's where the question comes in. And Adam, I'll start with you. Do you think that they will trade for a second lotto pick or do you think that they'll go after whether it be a Mitchell or revisit, you know, not Mitchell, but Mitchell type player or even an OG revisit that trade?
0: The the Mitchell thing is interesting and it's, it's topical because it, it led to Cleveland being you know, even better than they were last season. It was clearly a great move. The problem that I have with the whole Mitchell thing is that there aren't many Donovan Mitchells out there that are available to be able to get into your ball club. So if you look at the all... Because it has to be an all-star level player. You're not giving up that sort of haul for someone less than that. And if you look at the guys that made the all-star team this year and you go down that list... You're thinking to yourself, uh, who's going to want to switch teams that we actually need? You've got guys like Damian Lillard and Carl anthony Towns that potentially could switch over the course of the summer, but I'm not really sure that we would necessarily want either of those guys on the team, either because they don't fit the age profile that Pritchard's trying to work toward, they're not the right position um, and fit, or alternatively, in the case of Carl anthony Towns, he seems like, damaged goods overall. I mean, he he hasn't been great for the T-Wolves this season or last season he had that huge playoff fade out. And I just think it's too problematic trying to trade for one of those guys. If there was a, you know, proven all-star that became available, absolutely, you you swing for the fences because you've already got Tyrese Halliburton, you've already got Ben Matherin. Um, And even if you wanted to throw an asset into the trade to get someone at, you know, that top 10 MVP level, of course, you kind of have to do it. But I just don't see anyone of that caliber available. So I think it's kind of a fool's errand to suggest that we can package those picks and get the next Donovan Mitchell. What do you you think?
1: Yeah, I think, like, as you said, the two names you brought up were, like Damian Lillard and Carl Anthony Towns. When you, you look at our roster as it is, the guys we're most committed to are probably Halliburton, Mathroom and then Miles. Not so much long-term with Miles, but that sort of position is set in stone at least for the next year or two with the new contract. Um, so not only does it need to be an all-star level player, but ideally a three or a four, and those guys are just super rare. I mean, once you get past the, the top five or six who are generally just untouchable, it kind of thins out pretty quickly. I think the two that you could probably look at are more like borderline um, potential all-stars if the situation fits, and then they take off. Mikhail Bridges... That's one that I kind of think about, but they just rejected four first round picks for him, apparently, allegedly. We don't, obviously don't know for sure. And he's gone nuclear since then, like his numbers are crazy. And the other one's OG, who um, a year a year and a half from now, contract is up. We don't know what his long term plans are. We know he's not fully comfortable in Toronto. But three, three first round picks and maybe a player or two for a guy that might be gone in a year because there's no full guarantees. That's it's a, it's a big price to pay. It has to be a perfect situation. I think the Donovan Mitchell situation was perfect, and that's why it worked yeah. out so nicely. So unless something presents itself and there's something shocking that happens that just falls into our lap, I can't see us chasing that, but I do think we'll package things together to um, move on, make small moves. That's what Wet Richard loves to find value, and he's, he's brilliant at it, or it has been for the last few years. Yeah,
2: I was just going to say, Pascal Siakam, to me, feels like the, the guy. Again, obviously... Situation depends on what Toronto are doing. Nick Nurse had some funny comments the other day. I don't know if you guys saw that. And it feels like he has one foot out the door almost. So, look, uh, again, like you guys said, stars have to request a trade and the situation has to be right. But Pascal's a guy that I like at that four spot that you can slot in and basically fits everything this Pacers team needs to an extent.
0: Uh, Toronto better strap themselves in because maybe they're in uh, for a treat next season with Nate Bjorkren on the bench.
2: How exciting <laughs> would that would be
0: for uh, oh, Raptors fans. Don't bring
2: up that name on the podcast.
0: Yeah, I know. I can't say it three yes. times. Otherwise, he'll just appear <laughs> out of nowhere. But look, I, I think Pascal's an interesting call. He's 29. Um, you have to, once again, look at age profile and, and consider this guy has won a championship, but... Um, could be someone that has another three or four years left in their prime. Uh, I think another team to look at is Utah because we don't really know what they're doing. They well overachieved. Um, And Larry Markkinen obviously made an all-star team and could be had for a really, really big haul. We know what Danny Angers like. He'll ask for eight first-round picks and three of your first-born children um, for Larry (laughs) Markkinen. but. You know, it's, it's possible because Danny Ainge has also proven that he will trade his dog if it brings them closer to a championship. So, Woody, I, th- I think you have to also look at those second-level guys, as you said, and borderline guys. Um, I don't want us to touch the Julius Randles of the world with a 10-foot pole. Um, so, I really, really hope that that never, ever happens. Um, I feel the same way about Julius Randle this year as I, I felt about Gordon Hayward, the last three odd years, as you probably heard us complain about Gordon Hayward for many years on end.
1: Absolutely. I've been on that, on that train with you guys. Like, every time his name gets floated, it drives me nuts, but um, he'll never die. I think he'll be 40 and he'll be linked with the paces, but um, Laurie <laughs> Markkinen, I love, I love Laurie marketing but the, it's the Danny Ainge thing. It's terrifying dealing with him. Like he's probably going to ask for, like you said, five first round picks and Nembhard and Mathurin as a starting point. And That's right. Just- The conversation dies pretty quickly. But ideally, on paper, that's the one guy I think is absolutely perfect.
0: Look, I think you're onto something, though, Alex, with respect to trading up for a second lottery pick. I mean, um, if you want to have a young core, if you want to have more chances at unearthing all-star talent, you need two all-stars to be a competitive contending team in the East. We have one in Tyrese Halliburton. Matherin, could he get there? Yes. Um, is it possible? Uh, yes. But is it probable? Maybe not. He'd have to go to another couple of levels over the next couple of seasons. The good thing about what we've seen with Matherin is, is that he's been put in a variety of different situations. I know if Justin was here, he would start talking about how good Matherin's minutes are lately. Um, (laughs) So we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that. But I'll start with you on this one, Alex. I mean, for Matherin, do you think he is capable of being the second best player on a contending team? Or do you really need those two shots at another young guy and get, you know, a pick five and a pick 12 or something to try and Cobble together more young players and, and have more bites at the cherry.
2: Uh, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's funny. I, I feel like uh, it might have been my, my guy Rhett on Twitter was comparing his numbers to rookie Jalen Brown the other day, and they were very, very similar. So, look, I, makes I see. You feel yeah. I, sorry.
0: That makes me feel better.
2: Yeah. <laughs> look, I, I definitely think that he's got the potential to be an all star. But look, I, I think you also are never going to be relying on Halliburton to score 25 to 30 a night, right? Like, he's always going to be number one playmaking guy. So can you get that A-level scorer, one of the top 10-level scorers in the league, yeah. to put next to him? And and beyond that, it's the defensive side for me that the Pacers need to fix because, I mean, look, like this year the results don't matter, but we're giving up 130, 140 a night. I don't think Matherin and Halliburton are ever going to be – a great defensive back or I don't even think they will be one of the least average defensive back if we're being honest. So, for for me, it's the, the wing spot, uh, which we've talked about a lot. And then can you find that, you know, a, a plus tier scorer? Is that guy available? Can you find him in the lottery? Uh, maybe it's probably more likely to get him via trade, but I like a lot of guys in the, in the lottery this year. I mean, Jarrus walk is a guy who, I think it's already a pace's Twitter favorite uh, for for more of a defensive-minded guy. But um, but what about you, Woody? Have you I know you've looked at the top 10 and top 14 of this draft. Are there guys you think could could be that star guy for Indy?
1: Yeah, that's that's the exciting thing about this draft. I mean, we look at the the top two. I think they're set in stone. Wemby yeah. would be a game changer, but the likelihood of that happening is just very, very low. Scoot would be an interesting addition. You'd make it work. Um, Riccardo likes his multiple ball handlers and it would be interesting lineups and he'd elevate us for sure. But if you look at the rest of sort of that top 10, I think like seven of the next eight are like six, seven and above. I mean, Jarvis Walker is the one I love the most. Six, nine, seven, three wingspan, defensive star, scores off the ball. He's a plug and play guy. He played from day one and he's, he's perfect for that hole. But then you've got the Thompson twins. I saw is more of a wing where i a guard. So, I think Emin's going to go higher, probably out of our range, which works. We get his twin. Nice wing. Has a crazy defensive upside, which is a big hole that we have. And then um, I know Cam Whitmore is one that people talk about, but Taylor Hendricks has jumped. I know you've been hot on him, Alex, for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. Every time he plays, he seems to jump two or three more spots. I think most of the mocks have him at like seven to nine now, where I don't think he was breaking the top 12, 13 for quite a while. So, the range we're in, there's so many options and you, you look at the picks that we have to possibly trade up to that 11 or 12, I feel like one or two of them might slip there as well. So the potential is we get one in our slot, Say so we pick at seven, theoretically we take one and then we move up to 12 and take the one that falls and I think we can do that with the picks we have available with the young guys we could consider moving plus the 20 million cap space we're going to have. I mean, we saw what Kevin Pritchard did with that, bringing in three second round picks and Jordan and just on a couple of million dollars purely as a cap space use. I mean, there's a lot of magic that can be created with cap space. And I think if we want to, two swings and two bites of the cherry in that top 12 range at big wings, great things can happen.
0: No, I absolutely agree. I think it's a really exciting time to be a Pacers fan overall to, to potentially have a couple of bites of the cherry. Um, I, I, it's, it's rare that we get one and we got one last year and Alex, we, we, knew that we'd get one this year and we kind of thought it'd be a little bit higher let's be frank (laughs) um but overall the the team has performed and exceeded expectations even though they'll end up with probably the fifth or sixth worst record in the league and i want to talk about that now and you know they're they're at 34 and 45 they're technically eliminated from the play-in, which I'm thrilled about, frankly, because it means there's absolutely no incentive to win. I wish it had happened a week ago, um, but or I wish it happened three months ago, but it didn't. Uh, and uh, look, it, 34 wins, even if we win, uh, even if we lose the last three games in a row, 34 wins is still uh, a great success in terms of where we expected this team to go.
2: Yeah, you go back and look at ESPN projections, we were dead last. Like, they actually had us at 15 in the East. So, obviously, that probably had Buddy and Miles going to the Lakers, maybe. But still, we had 23 wins against our name, I think, projected. So, I think, what what were we, like, 24 and 23 at one point with Halliburton? So, like, way, way, way above expectations. Tyrese, when he's on the floor, we look like a good team that can compete against anyone. Um yeah, but but as you said, it's funny. Did you see that? Did you guys see that quote from the anonymous Western Conference GM today about, "Oh, we wish we're going to look back and wish we lost more games." Yeah. Than yep. When, when Benyama's yep. in the league, so we might be in that position.
0: Uh, look, it's it's hard to to justify winning any games when you see a guy shoot a three point shot and then put it back with a dunk. Yeah. I, I I can't fathom why you would win one game this season. Or tried to win one game. I mean, I get it. You know, you you are a professional basketball team. You you're trying to um, bring fans in and and put bums on on seats. But Woody, it's it's kind of oh, it, it's a little frustrating almost because you kind of expected it to be with a few more speed humps along the way and still, you know, some good signs, but. We've almost had too many good signs this season to have a realistic shot at Wemby. And as you you rightly pointed out, uh, he's, you know, highly unlikely to be a pacer, but my God, would that be fantastic?
1: Yeah, it'd be incredible. I mean, it would be the best thing to probably ever happen to this franchise. But like, like you said, we could have probably gone a little worse off and followed sort of what Atlanta did. They made the playoffs super early and then failed to sort of surround Trae Young with with nice pieces. I feel like we've already added Matherin where we're in a solid enough spot where we have flexibility all over and um we're not in a position where we feel like we need to commit to what happened because we had decent success. I know we're not going to get Wemby, even though I do pray daily that the lottery gods find us a little bit of faith and make, it, make magic happen. I don't expect that. We never should. Um, I, I still think we can get something special at the top end, um, but yeah, I'll trade my firstborn son and <laughs> Everything in my life to get Wimby in a is uniform. But it's just,
0: yeah, unlikely. Looking at the last three games, one of our last three three games is against the Detroit Pistons, and uh, that's that's going to be a tankathon, like unlike which we've ever seen before in this franchise. I would suggest. I mean, Alex, is there any chance that <laughs> even with your love for this franchise, that you're going to watch that entire thing?
2: Man, I think all three of us might suit up that game. We <laughs> might be the- Give me a t- <laughs> we <might be> the- <laughs> Oh god, that's going to be a real tankathon affair, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Look, I don't think it's going to be as bad as what Portland's throwing out, though. They are throwing out it's disgusting, nasty, nasty lineups. Like, yeah. it is disgusting. But I also can't complain because, unless you know, most teams in, in the range outside of maybe the Magic, everyone's trying to lose, but them. So yeah look we're all doing it but that Pistons game is going to be gross, gross possible
0: we, we desperately need Portland Portland to beat San Antonio in a few days yeah. time mm. and, and that that's a big that one, is yeah. a that's a massive game and i think the other thing that you've got to consider is that they potentially will they'll, they'll play the clippers who would have clinched and then they play golden state who you know who knows what position they'll potentially be shooting for. I mean, as of right now, what they're, they're sixth and they're half a game up on the Lakers. So as are the Clippers. So, I mean, both of those teams are definitely going to try and win those games. So the only hope we have is that Portland beat San Antonio, go to 34 wins. We stay at 34 wins because I I would expect that we would have a similar, similar records right down the line. We might own, a tiebreaker over them. I'm not 100% sure on that. I don't know whether you guys know for sure if we own the tiebreaker over those guys, but that's kind of what it will come down to because if Portland jump ahead of us in the standings, then we can clinch that fifth worst record, which is um, a bit of a prize and the same one that we had last year. Um, If they don't, then we slide to six. There's also Orlando and, and Washington with only one Um, loss ahead of us in the standings, so if they lose out the rest of the way, then we could jump over one or both of those sides as well. But, I mean, I I probably don't think I've ever wanted to see a Pacers team lose more than I would (laughs) in the game against the Pistons um, because it it does mean the difference between you know 15% and 6% or something in in terms of your shot at at Wembenyama and it's very, very rare that the Pacers are in a lottery, let alone in a lottery like this. Um, so we will be watching that with with bated breath. Uh, moving on to other questions we got on the podcast feed on Twitter. Um, Buddy Healed. I want to talk about Buddy Healed, Woody. And I'll start with you this time. Uh, Buddy seems like a ready-made player for a contender because he's a shooter. He can, you know, potentially play a couple of positions. He's consistently good from three. You know, you always need that skill set uh, in the NBA. So he clearly has a lot of value. He also has a sliding has a sliding contract scale. His contract goes down instead of up, which, you know, in the environment of the tax and with the new CBA, that could come into play for a few teams as well. So. If you're the Pacers, do you try and maximise that return right now along with those draft picks or do you hold on to Buddy because of his relationship with Tyrese, his consistency and his ability to kind of be a game-changer off the bench should you strike gold in the draft?
1: Uh, For me personally, I think we'll probably end up holding Buddy just because I don't know sort of what you're going to get in return. Is it like a late first-round pick, maybe? Um, and we already have plenty of those. We're probably trying to move up, and it's not going to be a salary dump. And I think the connection he has with the guys on the roster is just it's so strong, and there's such positivity there. He loves playing with Halliburton. Halliburton loves running and gunning with him. It just makes his life easy. And I think one of the key things we have got to do is maximize everything for Tarius Halliburton, star player. And I think Buddy is just so valuable as a running mate, as a friend, keeping that happiness, keeping that positive energy going forward. And it, it's just a little thing of making him happy long-term, showing loyalty to a guy he really, really likes where um, you never want him to feel slated and maybe trading his best friend on the team. That that could happen for what would be likely a late first-round pick maybe if you could find a team that could take on the $18 million, um, I just don't know what what the incentive really is Long term to move him. I think he could keep doing what he's doing for another four or five years and hopefully you can get him on a discounted deal as opposed to the 20 million that we're paying him going forward. I think we have enough picks at the back of the lottery and at the back of the draft, sorry, the first round to play with. I don't think we need to go after extra ones. I think we should be packing them and moving up a little bit more as opposed to adding more.
0: Alex, it's a bit of a weird one because you could have a couple of teams in the lottery that could jump over the paces into the top three that could use a guy like Buddy next season and could have superstars like Damian Lillard uh, and like Luka Doncic uh, that may need an extra shooter. So you could potentially package your lottery pick at six, seven, eight with their pick three or four um, to try and do a little better. So that is probably the only move that I could identify that could immediately pay dividends. Um, there's also the possibility that you could package one of those two late first round picks to try and move up into that lower lottery like you uh, mentioned before. But it's gonna be tough to try and find teams with the right cap space. Uh, We potentially have to take back a bad contract. I'm thinking of Bertans or something of that nature. So it's, it's a little bit problematic to try and get rid of Buddy in any way, shape or form, unless you're potentially upping your draft capital and also not taking back bad money.
2: Well, yeah, it's those Bertans, those like Evan Fournier, yeah, those type of contracts that, that kind of scare you because they have multiple years. Um, yeah, it's funny. I think the only thing for me is, is Buddy willing to come off the bench for a full season? That would be my only question because he didn't want to do it in Sacramento, but that was on a losing team and he didn't like Luke Walton and they had a weird relationship, but I just, yeah, I wonder how much he would be willing to play. Like he might have some nights where he only plays 12, 15 minutes. Like, would he be willing to do that would be my question. But to Woody's point about relationship, I think it it goes back to that Danny Granger trade, right? Like the Pacers traded Danny Granger. And that was a, a, that was like terrible. a shotgun was shell to the chest for, for PG because that was his best friend. So, yeah, you, you don't really want to alienate your star players or, or make them angry. Uh, yeah, but but the main thing, like I said, is just if you're trading Buddy Hill you're going to get a bad contract back. And that, that's the only thing that would worry me the most. And like like you guys said, do we need another Celtics-type pick in the 26-27 range? Like, well, what realistically are we going to do with that? I think the more likely Trey candidate is probably Duarte. I just think he hasn't really found his spot this season. He had some DNPs at time earlier in the, early in the year. I uh, just, uh, you know, I, I don't know how well he fits on this team, the style they play going forward. But I don't know, maybe you guys disagree with me. Adam, what do you think?
0: Woody, I, I bought a Duarte jersey. Um, should I never buy a Pacers jersey ever again?
2: I don't uh, know. It, it, Goga it, it, and Duarte <laughs>
0: are my last two purchases.
1: That Goga piece is going to be something special in about 10 years when he's made his That's fifth true. all-star team for Orlando. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah my, my son's going to wear it to a music <laughs> festival one year and be the most popular person there. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yep. Um, yeah, I think you're right, Alex. I think Duarte is far more likely to get dealt. I think the fact we've figured out Matherin's probably not a three, he's more of a two, that doesn't help either. And then you add the buddy minutes. I um, also think Duarte has some valuable. He's liked around the league. The Golden State were huge on him before his dip. And, and people know this talent there. And I think the big, easy thing with him is the contract's small. So there's plenty of teams that can afford to bring on his money and, and use him as a, a piece for the future, even though he's 25, 26 now. They they get something. Their shooting's valuable, and, and they might get something out of him on a smaller contract and, and values everything there.
0: I'll finish with this one uh one of our readers uh, listeners suggested that the uh we might have enough sway to be able to convince the indiana Pacers to play games in australia at some point um i feel great that anyone thinks we have that kind of sway alex uh and could potentially have a chat to the team uh justin posted his photos of of his trip to uh to Indiana on our uh, Instagram feed. So check those out. But if there's one man that has more sway than you and I combined, Alex, it's uh, it's our podcasting partner, Justin. I mean, he uh, he went over there and just basically owned the place. So I, I would say that we'll <laughs> ask him uh, off the top next week about uh, when it's happening, not if it's happening because I think
2: he's- him, him and Rick Carlisle are besties now. They're best friends, mate.
0: That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: podcast for Rick
0: that's it that's not a knife oh, okay. that's um yeah I, I still can't believe justin didn't get that immediately it was a Croco- crocodile dundee reference but that's okay <laughs> that's just showing showing my age versus his We've got, I've got a even, I got,
2: that. even yeah. I got that even i got that there you go so I it's not even man.
0: an age thing i feel even better about mm. it um and justin should feel even worse woody thanks so much <laughs> for coming on the show today um enjoy reading your content and you've obviously got a great following on twitter so Well done for what you've been able to build. Um, That's how I met Alex, funnily enough. He's following on Twitter as well. So it's great to see Australian Pacer fans building great followings, having great takes and contributing to the overall Pacers Twitter experience because um, it's definitely the most special fan base in the league from a social media standpoint.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. And yeah, I'm excited to grow together. I think we're we're building something pretty cool and, seeing you guys with the Paceroos podcast. That was one of my first follows here that I jumped on early days. It was, it was really cool to see you guys doing something that I would have liked to have done. And, yeah, it kind of took a little bit of inspiration from you guys and just naturally just grew. And it's um, it's a really cool thing. Really ha- really happy to be involved.
0: Won't be your last time on the show, mate. I'm hoping uh, you'll come back at some point. So thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for Anytime. listening to Paceroos. And we'll be back again next Tuesday.